0: do want to, uh, again, express a very warm welcome for those of you who are visiting with us for the first time this morning. It's great to have you. Hope you sense a warm welcome from the rest of us. Uh, some of you have asked about uh, planned renovations to our congregational meeting room here. We had mentioned that an Australian food and wine exhibition company had... Uh, worked a deal with the management, the the ownership, and they they spent quite a bit of money reinforcing the lower floor down there last fall, as you recall. Uh, But it turns out they apparently have walked, uh, the uh, manager tells us. So at least for this next period, uh, we will not be uh, renovating the upstairs area. Uh, I think you'd agree with me that stress is a part of... You're in my life just about every day. A stress, as the dictionary defines it, is a force uh, that produces tension, strain, or pressure. And it is a condition of urgency and weight. Uh, We can experience a significant amount of stress at work, uh, the pressure to meet deadlines, achieve goals, uh, fulfill uh, expectations. Uh, We can experience uh, stress in parenting our kids. Um, They have their own challenges, and of course we want so deeply for them to make the right decisions and uh, develop the right sorts of relationships. We sometimes experience stress about our finances, uh, trying to balance income and current expenses against the needs uh, for long-term savings for college and and in our older years. Uh, Many of us will and do experience stress in living in a foreign culture. Uh, For most of us, China is not our native home, and so there is a certain amount of chronic stress that is imposed upon us just by trying to adapt to a culture in which the language and the cultural uh, ambience is very different than what we are accustomed to. Now, some people experience stress from their beliefs about God and from their church experience. Uh, in a survey of New Zealand some years ago, uh, 85% of the population there uh, said that they believe that becoming a part of a Christian church would significantly increase Uh, the stress uh, of their lives. Uh, Early church-planting efforts, it seems, in New Zealand 100 years ago planted the ideas very firmly there that God uh, cannot be satisfied and that he is always demanding more. Now, some passages in the Bible can appear to teach that, in fact, if you are a careful student or reader of the Bible, you'll discover passages. One such passage is in Matthew chapter 5, uh, that uh, verse 17 and following, that's often referred to as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I want to quote just a few verses from this chapter. Uh, in these verses, Jesus says this, beginning in uh, verse 17 of chapter 5, Jesus says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses or the prophet's writing. I came to fulfill them. I assure you, until heaven and earth disappear, even the smallest details of God's law will remain in force until its purpose is achieved. And I warn you, unless you obey God better than the teachers of religious law, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven at all. He goes on. He says, you have heard that the law of Moses says, do not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you curse someone, you are in danger of hell, he says here. You've heard that the law of Moses says don't commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has committed adultery with her in his heart. You've heard that the law of Moses says if someone injures an eye, injure the eye of the person who did it. But I say if you're slapped on the right cheek, turn the other two. And he says, finally, if you've heard, that the, you've heard that the law of Moses says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Then you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. And then this summary statement that sets this bar very, very high. You are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, I suspect if any of Jesus' audience uh, were under stress when he said this, uh, these words uh, may have increased their stress. Uh, If they were genuine, sincere seekers of God, it says, Whoa, man, this is some hard teaching here. And yet, a few chapters later, Matthew records Jesus as saying these beautiful words that are recorded for us in Matthew chapter 11, 28 and following, when Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry a heavy load, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke fits perfectly, and the burden I give you is light. And in chapter one of his account of the life of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, uh, excuse me, the Apostle John says, as we've been reading the last couple of weeks, he says in verse 14 of the chapter, he says, the word became human, referring to Jesus. And dwelled among us, we saw his glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And says grace and truth were realized, they appeared, they came on the scene, they burst into awareness through Jesus Christ. Now, what's going on here? Uh, do these very different types of statements uh, mean that the Bible contains contradictory teaching? Um, it would appear to be, I mean, that the, how do you reconcile uh, these two very different kinds of statements in the Bible? What, how do we make sense uh, of this? Well, one of the greatest uh, teachers and leaders... In the history of Christianity, Uh, Martin Luther uh, was an individual that struggled very deeply uh, with these very uh, questions. Uh, Martin Luther, of course, is a different man from Martin Luther King, Jr., who was the American civil rights leader. Uh, Martin Luther King was named after uh, the former Martin Luther Martin Luther was a German who grew up and lived in Germany in the 1500s. Uh, he was a young law student, and he was walking near his university one night during a rainstorm, and lightning struck the ground very close to him, nearly killed him. And he became convinced, young Luther did, that God had spared his life, and so. This so gripped him, this conviction, that he dramatically changed uh, his life's uh, direction. He quit law school. Uh, He entered a monastery, and he began training to be a Catholic priest. Now, Luther lived in a European culture uh, that took the Bible much, much more seriously than global culture. The global culture of today, uh, the European culture of the time, believed that the Bible was the very words of God, the revelation of God to mankind about his nature and his desires for the human race and his requirements and purposes. And uh, Luther was a highly intelligent individual with a keen legal mind. He believed very deeply that in a completely just society, when a person is legitimately convicted of breaking the law, then punishment is inescapable. And he deeply, uh, genuinely believed that he was personally guilty of not meeting the high moral standards that he reflected on, and he was meditating on in the Bible, and that the Bible says that God requires. Now, the medieval Catholic church at the time taught that God's forgiveness uh, was earned over time by uh, consistently and very rigidly keeping a set of sacraments, as the church called them, specifically baptism attending mass and confession, communion, uh, confirmation, when a young pe- a person affirms their belief in Christ, and last, rites. And so the medieval teaching of, of the Catholic Church at the time is that if people submit themselves to the authority of the church and very diligently engage in those activities, then little by little God would parcel out his forgiveness and his acceptance so that if the balance scales at the end of your life weighed more heavily on the side of obedience, presto, you go to heaven. But if they don't, then there's all kinds of other uh, consequences. Now, this was this teaching that he received consistently. He was also a highly sensitive young man who had grown up with an extremely demanding father. And as he studied the teaching of the church, he became, he came to believe that God was just pretty much like his father, couldn't be pleased. So he devoted himself deeply to trying to become the perfect monk. He had fasted and prayed for days. He would spend hours in confession uh, every day, confessing his sins of the day before uh, he tried to prove that he was really sorry uh, for his sins by refusing to use blankets in these cold German winters, and uh, he, uh, he he got very sick at times because of it, and some of the older priests thought he actually might be losing his mind, just a very sensitive person who was trying to grapple with the questions that we asked uh, earlier in our discussion this morning. The teaching he was receiving and the clarity of his reasoning turned the Christian faith into a terrible burden for him. It was like a weight that he could not escape. His leaders recognized his intellectual gifts and thought that he needed to focus his attention outside of himself to get his focus off of himself and, you know, out there. So he returned to the university to study theology for the next uh, two years, during which time he began very deeply studying the writings of the Apostle Paul. And he was passionate, he became passionate about finding the answers to three key questions. First, how shall we interpret God's law. A very significant part of the first five books of the Bible is known uh, as the law of Moses. Now, the Bible describes these laws as instructions that God gave Israel, his chosen nation, about how to manage every area, every dimension of their lives. So there's Instructions in the law, but in these books about their spiritual life, you know the religious rituals that God desired for them to be engaged in, about marriage, property ownership, criminal laws. There's just a whole lot of instruction. Over 500 specific types of instruction for the nation in the law. Very detailed, in some cases very demanding, and required a very high level of commitment. Uh, To fulfill. And uh, Luther, as he studied this material over the years, he felt he couldn't even keep the more simple instructions of the New Testament, uh, much less grapple with these high standards of the Old Testament uh, law. Uh, But then, as he studied the teachings of Paul, uh, he discovered a very, very important key to the New Testament in Paul's letter to the Christians in Galatia, chapter 3 and verse 24. And that verse says, The law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified or declared righteous and forgiven by faith. And now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. This is the inspired words of the Apostle Paul. Now, in the Roman era, affluent families would hire a tutor to instruct their kids, and in the period, these tutors, according to reports, were very, very harsh and demanding. Uh, I know that in even in some uh, De- depending on the academic institution, some institutions around the world today, some in China, according to my understanding, have teachers that can be very, very demanding and set extremely high standards. And so there's obviously, uh, continues in some uh, quarters. But the goal um, of the tutor was to push and force and intimidate or whatever it took to get the student to a place where they really understood deeply and grappled with the truth. And so Paul uses this example of people's normal life at the time to say that in fact is the purpose of the law. It had of the, God gave these instructions to Israel. They were helpful. They contained wisdom, but there was a bigger plan at stake over these 1,500 years, he was planning to ultimately resolve the problems that are inherent in the teaching of the law, and he says, as a result, we are no longer under a tutor. And so what we can, bear with me, try to stick with me on this, so in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Paul's understanding of some of those passages is that Jesus, in a sense, is acting as a prosecuting attorney. Sometimes he will give us instructions and set the bar so high that if we are honest with ourselves, if we have some self-awareness, if we're paying attention, we will ultimately reach the point where we say, I cannot do this. I don't even want to do this. And the result is that we will come to the end of ourselves and fall at the feet of Christ and beg for mercy and grace. And so that's Paul's point in uh, Galatians chapter 3. Second question of Luther was asking and answering is how may we be delivered from the consequences of breaking God's law? And Luther discovered his answer in Romans chapter 3. He says in chapter 3 and verse 23 and following, he says, all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, in the previous two chapters, if you're familiar with his letter to the Romans, he does the same thing that Jesus was doing in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He is relentless. He is trying to get people to deeply... And completely be aware that, hey, we don't have the resources on our own to work up the energy or the self-discipline or the determination or whatever it is to meet the kind of high standards that are set for us morally in the scripture. And so he summarizes by saying all, oh, everybody has sinned and fall short and said, yet now God in His gracious kindness declares us not guilty. Christ has freed us by taking away our sins. That is, those who believe. God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and satisfy His anger against us. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. So the point of the law and the way that we may be delivered from the penalty and the consequences of not meeting this high standard is by reaching the point, I don't have it. I am a sinner. I acknowledge it openly. But wow, a provision has been made. The only begotten Son has come and taken the penalty for that upon Himself so that I can be liberated. I can be embraced and accepted. I can live authentically because I don't have anything to hide and nothing to prove. And then the third question uh, that Luther asked and ultimately found his answer to was how can God expect us to fulfill his expectations? And the answer is found in Romans chapter 8 and other places, but this is certainly one key passage. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says that the law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature. The law has got some great insight got wisdom. We can gui- discern. I mean, that is we read that old Testament material. We read the instructions of the New Testament. It's great. Incredible moral teaching. If someone lives, if they're a person is an absolute non-Christian, but they follow that instruction, they will live a better life, a more stable, peaceful, effective, fruitful life. But, um, Ultimately, we cannot be saved. We cannot be united with the Almighty through simply determination in that respect because of our sinful nature, it says. But God put into effect a different plan to save us, sending His own Son as a sacrifice for our sins so that the requirement of the law would be fully accomplished In us who no longer follow our sinful natures, but instead follow the spirit. This is very, very deep and very important insight here. He says that God has a new and a fresh plan as a result of the coming of Jesus Christ. And that all these high moral standards, they can be fulfilled but they're not fulfilled through laborious, intense, passionate determination or religious devotion or whatever. They are fulfilled through humbly acknowledging ourselves before God and our needful condition and then trusting Christ and then learning to follow the spirit of Christ who has been given to us and who resides within us. Uh, 20th century uh, produced many of the finest novelists ever in world literature. Uh, Yet over a 100 years after his death, the Russian uh, novelist Leo Tolstoy is still considered by critics as the, the greatest novelist of all time so far. I'll never forget when I read his masterpiece, uh, War and Peace. Uh, Difficult to get into at first. There's lots of complicated Russian names and families. And it took two weeks of reading almost full time for me over the course of a two-week holiday uh, to complete it, but I finished it. Uh, Parts of the novel are so extraordinary That just about everyone who reads it is astonished. Uh, It can take you out of this world and into this imaginary world of Tolstoy that was based on the Russian culture of the time, that is breathtaking. And reading the book uh, normally leads people to acknowledge simply that Tolstoy was truly a genius. Virtually no one who reads the book uh, will come away thinking, I could, I could do that, you know, no problem. But what if there was magic? What if somehow magically the mind and the spirit of Leo Tolstoy could come to live within us? and then we could discover how to collaborate with him, perhaps he could write that type of literature through us. This is almost precisely what the New Testament teaches us, is our relationship with the Spirit of Jesus Christ who lives within us. Paul says specifically that we have the mind of Christ and that we have the spirit of Christ. That is somehow in the mystery of spirituality, when we believe and we're accepted into God's family, we have the capacity to discern the wisdom from above, to download God's insight and wisdom about the problems and the issues and the challenges that we face, and that if we pursue that, if we continue over time to learn the mystery of godliness, as Paul says, then over a lifespan, our lives can become more and more a clear instrument through whom the life of Jesus Christ in all its majesty, and all its purity, and all its goodness and mercy and kindness and truth can be expressed through us and have deep effect on the world and the people around us. Well, Martin Luther's studies produced uh, an intellectual and a spiritual awakening within him that led to the Protestant Reformation. And it changed the Christian culture and the Christian church, uh, both Catholic and Protestant, uh, from, for the last 500 years in some very significant ways. This information can be life-changing. Now, God's, the final point and conclusion is God's desires for us are very high. He sets the bar like a great coach. He knows what can be accomplished in the life of a man or woman who is fully devoted to him. And we cannot do that in the power of our own human energy. But he has made it possible for us to meet them, not by striving, not, but by learning Trusting, responding to the work of the Spirit within us. There's no one like Him. We have been describing six extraordinary qualities of Jesus that everyone needs to know. And the one this morning is that He is full of grace. He graciously makes provision for our forgiveness. And then He graciously grants the resources through His Spirit to fulfill the requirements that he has for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for inspiring Paul to uh, write this uh, remarkable insight. We recognize that it's from you. I pray for each of us that we can personally uh, study this wisdom from heaven in these two letters that are contained in the New Testament, that you would liberate us from this treadmill of striving and self-effort and enable us to recognize your grace and your mercy and your provision and collaborate with you in such a way that we would be all and the people that you want us to be. We pray in Christ in your holy name. Amen.